Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Mandy Murphy in Forshawn Spruce. We're just a day away from the first ever indigenous tattoo and music festival in Arizona. Among other things, it's a celebration of the growing revitalization of traditional tattoos worn throughout history by indigenous people all over the globe. Tattoos have become a mainstream art form and that has helped propel awareness of tribal traditions, some of which have all but disappeared. We'll talk about cultural and contemporary tattoos right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. This week, Colorado released a report on Indian boarding schools in the state, including the Fort Lewis Boarding School near Durango. The comprehensive review has new information about Native American children who died at some of the schools. As Clark Adamitis reports, Fort Lewis College has been preparing for the report's public release. The historic Fort Lewis operated as a boarding school for Native American students in the late 1800s and early 1900s. The new report details the history of systematic abuse and negligence at the school, and it contains a new estimate that 46 children are buried at the old Fort Lewis Cemetery. It was really important for us to make sure that students felt supported in terms of having extended counseling center drop-in hours available. Heather Schotten is Vice President of Diversity Affairs at Fort Lewis College. She says the school understands that the report may be traumatic for the estimated 1,400 Native American students at Fort Lewis. Our Native American and Indigenous Studies faculty will be available for students to review it, to explain different components of it, help them to process and, and understand the report. It's part of the charter mission of Fort Lewis College to heal the damage left behind by the Indian boarding school bearing its name. I'm Clark Adamitis. The Central American country of Guatemala this week saw massive protests against government actions that are widely seen as an attempt to undermine the transition of power to the president-elect. As Maria Martin reports, what's unique about these mobilizations is that they're being led by the country's indigenous citizens. In more than a dozen key points in the country, crossroads, bridges, ports, and airports, indigenous Guatemalans, who make up 40% of the population, have come out in massive numbers to protest and block traffic, calling for all Guatemalans to join in a national work stoppage to stop those who want to overturn the results of the August 20th election. La democracia ya se murió. Democracy has died, but the people of Guatemala are going to revive it, says indigenous mayor Luz Emilia Ulario. This mobilization of rural indigenous people it's very rare in the history of Guatemala. Democracy activist Manfredo Marroquin of Transparency International says these recent mobilizations are totally different from mostly urban protests in the past. Current democracy actions have originated in the rural areas and are well organized. Marroquin believes the indigenous movements are what's kept a total coup from taking place so far, as the ruling business class fears what more disruption could do to Guatemala's economy. For National Native News, I'm Maria Martin. 
The Cherokee Nation, especially in rural communities, estimates that at least 6,000 Cherokee citizens do not have access to the Internet or computers at home. This is the first center on the Cherokee Nation and the 28th Connected Learning Center AT&T has opened nationwide. The company plans to launch more than 50 centers across the country by mid-2024. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the National Indian Education Association's 54th Convention and Trade Show held in Albuquerque starting October 18th. Education Sovereignty, it begins with us. Registration ends October 13th at NIEA.org. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy sitting in for Sean Spruce. Basket designs, rug patterns, tribal images, and corn illustrations are all among the graphics many indigenous tattoo wearers display. Some traditional images illustrate tribal origin stories and others are a personal connection or uh, a personal creation or one honoring their family or clan. That, along with a lot of other awesome art, is what you might see at the first ever Indigenous Tattoo and Music Festival in Arizona this week. In this hour, we'll hear about this celebration and what this art form means to tattooers and their clientele. Also, Native folks are embracing a revival of tattoo images handed down through the generations. Some were all but lost because the practice was demonized by colonizers decades ago. We'll hear about the, how indigenous tattoo artists are reviving and perfecting their tattoo traditions. You can join us too. Tell us about your Native ink. I mean the tattoos that honor and celebrate your indigeneity and Native community. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That is also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now are some folks from the Inchuan podcast. We have um, uh, Olivia Morgan. Uh, she's the co-host of Inchuan podcast, a citizen of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma and descendant of Chickasaw Nation. Welcome to Native America Calling, Olivia. Halito, Sochopia Olivia. Um, hi, everybody. Um, I'm Olivia. Uh, like what you just said, I'm a Choctaw and Chickasaw, and I'm super happy to be here. 
All right. We also have Faithlin Seawright. She's a member of the board of directors for Inchua Podcasts. Uh, she's Chickasaw and Choctaw. Welcome, Faithlin. Chukma, so to Faithlin Tolua Seawright. Hello, my name is Faithlin Tolua Seawright, and I'm happy to be here. All right. Thank you guys for coming on to the show today. I was just listening to a couple of episodes of the podcast and I learned a whole lot about um, uh, just the work that you guys are doing in, um, you know, uh, researching uh, traditional tattoos and images and uh, just kind of what happened, uh, you know, throughout history to these uh, uh, tattoo traditions uh, from the Southeast tribes. It's it's very very interesting. And I love how, um, you know, everybody is so uh, engaged with, um, you know, uh, each other and um, other artists who are kind of coming out of the woodwork as you're doing more uh, uh, research on this topic. Um, Olivia, as as the co-host of uh, the Inchua pod, Inchua in Ch- uh, in Chinois podcast, can you uh, just explain a little bit more about what it's about and what in Chinois means? Yeah, um, I would love to. So in Chinois, um, the word itself, yeah, um, it, it uh, in our language we have some like nasalizations in our uh, language, and so that might be why it's kind of hard for some people that don't have that in their native language to say the word. <laughs> um, so no pressure. Um, but basically, the word uh, means to be um, to be marked or to be branded um, in our traditional ways. Um, that's how it you know was uh, the meaning behind it. And uh, the project actually started around 2018 uh, unofficially. Uh, it was really a group of uh, Chetta and Chikasha uh, people coming together, wanting to know more about our traditional markings. And it really just started as a conversation um, in community. And it was from people that, you know, spanned across the U.S. and really became this uh, passion project um, for myself, for Faceland, as well as two other people, uh, Britt Reed and Lindsay Reeder, um, who are the other co-hosts that you'll hear um, if you listen to our podcast. And so we kind of came together and started doing a lot of research, um, talking to community members, um, doing you know, other research. Uh, luckily, some of us were in school at the time. And as we know, uh, academic institutions typically have a lot more access um, to like documents that we were able to get a hold of. Um, so we really just did a huge deep dive into not just the history of Southeastern traditional tattooing, um, but as well as the overall history of where tattooing comes from. Um, And, you know, our first series is really about that. It's really about, you know, what is tattooing? Where did it come from? But specifically for Southeastern Indigenous people um, that what in what is now known as the U.S. Um, And so we started our podcast in 2021. Um, So it's been almost like two years. It's been about two years now uh, since we've been having our podcast on the air. Um, so yeah, um, if you have any more questions about it, uh, feel free to ask. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, doing the podcast, have there been um, maybe people reaching out to you to learn more about podcast or learn more about uh, tattooing, traditional tattooing, or um, who are some of your guests? 
Oh, um, well, I will say <laughs> um, I, I was actually looking back at our Instagram recently just to kind of, um, you know, just kind of like look back, you know, reminisce about our, our start. And it was funny. I, the very first post we made uh, was when we went live with our first episode. Mm -hmm. And from that very moment, you'll see in the comments of the very first post. We just posted about like, hi, this is our page. We hadn't even posted an episode yet, I don't think. And people were already asking questions. Mm -hmm. They're already like, oh, so like, what do these markings mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? You know, like, how can I, people were just already um, broadly um, interested in uh, these practices. And I think that that is what happens is when you start talking about indigenous tattooing practices, everyone is interested. It doesn't matter if they're native or not. <laughs> um, and so, but it was especially people that are Southeastern or specifically uh, Choctaw and Chickasaw, because that's what makes up most of our, you know, our team. Um, those were members were like interested and they were just kind of like asking around like, okay, so like what's going to happen. And so through this process of, um, us kind of sharing out information and the reason why we chose to do a podcast because we had gathered so much co like content, so much information. And we thought, what is the most accessible way to share out this information? Mm -hmm. And um, so that's, that's why we did a podcast. Um, at the time we were like, this seems like the more accessible <laughs> than like writing a book or doing these other things, you know? So um it's wide. It's a very wide audience. We have people that are, you know, not in the U.S. that are interested. Um, as we know, Native people exist everywhere. And so um, you can be a Choctaw in Canada. You can be a Choctaw person um, or a Southeastern person wherever you, you know, if you're from there, you know, yeah. people move out of the country, they move everywhere. So we've had people that listen and comment and interact with us from like all over the world, which is really amazing. Um, and we also have a discord for our, you know, listeners that subscribe to our Patreon. Um, and so in there, people can talk to each other, people that are interested, um, in learning more about, um, you know, our podcast, our project. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really like long list of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, what about some of the guests you have on the show? Who are you guys uh, interviewing? Yeah. So for our first series, um, you know, it was mostly just the co-hosts, um, but we also included other people that have a lot more knowledge <laughs> about a lot of different things. Um, and that's what was, is really fun about having this project is that like one, we know that we don't know like everything cause it's like literally impossible. Um, and also like we're pretty young comparatively. So like, as we know, like, <laughs> like we have people that have so much more knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so we bring on guests in our first series that kind of help give us more context about not just like historical things, but like about, you know, what is epistemology, you know, like what is, um, you know, those things like, and kind of going more deep mm -hmm. into like what, who our community is and like why we're doing this, you know, kind of that back, like that back end kind of like, this is the why, and this is why we're doing this. And then in our second series, we had a group of people, like I mentioned in 2018 of people that were like really interested in 
um, you know, learning more about our traditional practices um, of tattooing. And we included those people that wanted to be a part of um, our project in our second series. Um, so there are people that are kind of thinking about or wanting to get traditionally tattooed. Um, and the reason why that's really important is because we, we picked people that, you know, we knew, but also people that um, we've had these like really in-depth conversations about like, why, like, why would someone want to get tattooed in this way? Mm -hmm. um, and what could that mean, not just for them, but for the community, for their family? And um, we thought those conversations were like really important. Um, and so that's why we had that series. Um, and we've been talking to, uh, you know, people that have traditional tattoos in our next series. I think it's our third series. And Faithlin, if I'm messing this up at any point, please jump in. Because <laughs> uh, Faithlin's been with me since uh, the beginning of this. So um, we then talked to people that um, bear traditional tattoos. Yeah. Um, and so that's a really good follow-up, you know, of like, these are the people are, that are, you know, bearing these tattoos that have these experiences and like learning from them. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe we also have a series on um, the artists that are uh, producing art okay. that showcase All right. tattoos. Um... Uh, Olivia, we'll be back right after this break. We're talking about Indigenous tattoos. You can join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. Native women are on the forefront of telling stories for general news audiences. Once mostly absent from newsrooms, they are now gaining in numbers and bringing important perspectives to the way people hear about Native issues. We'll talk with women, news reporters, and editors on the next Native America Calling. Support by AARP. If someone asks you to buy gift cards to pay off debt, it's a scam. Imposters will claim your social security number's at risk, or your utility company will stop service due to late payments, or you won the lottery and only need to pay some upfront costs. They'll say the fastest way is to buy gift cards and share the numbers on the back. Anyone who tells you to pay a debt with a gift card is a scammer. More information on gift card scams at aarp.org slash gift cards. Hey, you're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy, and we're talking about Native tattoos today. Do you have traditional markings, or do your tattoos celebrate your Native heritage? Give us a call and tell us about it. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. I'm going to bring in Faithlin Seawright from uh, In Chunwa uh, podcast. Uh, Faithlin, can you tell us uh, what you learned about uh, tattoos from uh, uh, your Chickasaw tribe and how they've been maybe erased a couple decades ago? Yeah, um, in learning about doing some research whenever I was in college, I learned a lot about our traditional tattoos, how they could celebrate milestones and also be just used for adornment. <clears throat> and in learning about that, 
I learned about how so much was lost, meaning behind certain tattoos that could also be found on southeastern pottery, southeastern shellwork, um, and even still, you know, when the more you dig, sometimes you get more questions and you find more connections. And then some of those, um, and some of those designs nowadays that we use, you know, southeastern artists like you know, Olivia, Hotokuchi, and myself, we incorporate it. We're providing new meaning towards these designs in an effort to revitalize them. But sometimes we will be inspired by these designs and create new ones and try to give them a similar meaning or at least a new meaning, meaning to give life back into those traditional ways. Okay. Um, I'm going to go back to uh, Olivia Morgan, a co-host of the Intronwa podcast. Uh, Olivia, um, what did you learn about uh, the history of uh, tattoos in in this area, the Southeast area, and um, how they've been uh, sort of demonized by, uh, you know, various people who moved into the area? Yeah, I mean, that that question is so loaded. (laughs) Um, And it it definitely, I think, um, in a a broader sense, I think of how, you know, we we were uh, practicing our traditional ways and just basically being indigenous. (laughs) We were were living in our lands, doing what we do. Um, And so when colonizers um, came to the southeast, um, and different slews, you know, mainly uh, French influence uh, was involved in that. Um, and we had missionaries, um, you know, come into contact with us. And a lot of it was, um, on a broader level, shock um, on their part um, from how we looked. You know, we, you know, I think there was an account where missionaries came into contact with uh you know, Southeastern people, and they saw that, you know, we didn't wear as much clothes as them, um, and we also were very, um, like, touchy, like, we would just, like, greet people a certain way, mm-hmm. um, and just in that interaction, it's kind of, uh, we talk about it in the podcast about that specific interaction that was recorded, um, and you can imagine probably the shock um, of Europeans <laughs> when experiencing that, um, and a lot of it was just, like, the sexualization of uh, Native people, specifically um, who they would consider um, Indigenous women um, so early on. And so these markings uh, were seen as a way to distinguish each, you know, person. And there was uh, communities that would have certain tattoos. Um, There were different, um, you know, clans that would have certain tattoos, certain, like, small towns. You know, there's um, references in our research, uh, six towns. Choctaws had very specific tattoos that they had. Um, But there's also a lot that we don't know, and that is due to the colonization of our people um, and the essential, uh, you know, eradication um, and demonization of our markings. Yeah, so, and a lot of this information we've really had to, like, dig for um, because, you know, a lot of our histories, when you look at, um, you know, now I'm so glad that we have documentation, we have books now that we're able to reference that are, you know, showing more of this beautiful history that we have. 
Um, but a lot of it, unfortunately, not just for tattoos, but a lot of different practices, um, you know, aren't recorded. And um, we don't really know a lot about the why behind certain markings. Um, we know that there were markings that did exist that also weren't recorded. Um, so when looking at that, it's just, you see so much of the, yeah, like you said, like the demonization, the sexualization um, of these practices. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, Got it. it's a lot to unpack yeah. <laughs> um, for sure. Um, definitely, um, you know, bringing these traditions into, uh, into contemporary uh, native life, into our contemporary uh, communities here is definitely a lot of, um, you know, a lot of work goes on behind that. And I want to bring in um, a person you mentioned before, uh, Hadogaji Harjo. Uh, they are a multidisciplinary artist and uh, Muskogee Creek. Hi, uh, Hadogaji. Hi, um Hadogaji Harjo Chao Chefkaros, Yahogi Amalegi Garos, Tuskigi Amatolodos. Hello, hi, um I'm Hadogaji Harjo. I am, like you said, a multidisciplinary artist. Uh I'm coming in from Oklahoma, calling in from um and yeah, just happy to be here and talk with y'all today. Yeah, um, uh, Olivia was talking about uh, bringing these traditions into the now, and you're, uh, you've uh, done that um, in a couple of ways. Can you tell me about some of the tattoos uh, you have and um, maybe the uh, tattoos that uh, you have um, done for other people? Yeah, so um, I have some finger tattoos. They're bands, which... Um, is pretty like textbook, like uh, Southeastern, um, but also a bunch of like other tribes as well have similar like finger tattoos. But um, like Olivia um, has said that there was like, because of colonialism, some of the, um, the traditions and like the ceremonies around those specific tattoos, and I'm paraphrasing here, adding my own spin, um, mm -hmm. have been sort of put to sleep. Um, to say. Um, so I have kind of reimagined what those like meanings um, are for myself. So each of these bands um, uh, on my on my left hand, I did them with my right hand. Um, I, I gave myself a band every time I accomplished something that I deemed important or, you know, like a certain goal that I had. And that's kind of how I reinstilled um, this contemporary meaning to them, um, just from my own experience as a Muskogee Creek person. And then I have um, a palm tattoo as well. And I have my chin tattoo, which is rooted in Mississippian um, like iconography. And the meaning, again, is um, a meaning that I sort of instilled upon it from my own experiences. All yeah. right. Um, so you, you got into it just a little bit. You know, these tattoos are very personal. Uh, what kinds of, um, uh, you know, what kind, which, what should somebody think about when they are, um, you know, having that idea of getting a, a traditional tattoo? What, what sorts of things do you think they need to have in mind before they actually um, go and do that? I mean, I... I will just say, like, from my own experience, um, I think understanding that it's a really big responsibility. Um, obviously, we know, like, that 
like ink is permanent, but also there is like a cultural responsibility. Um, people are going to ask you about it and, you know, like it's your choice if you want to educate. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Um, people are, yeah, people are going to ask you about it and, you know, it's a cultural responsibility and just, you know, take some time, sit with it. Um, what I have learned from other tattoo revitalization kind of communities outside of my own, um, they have said, like, if you're scared to do it, maybe you're not ready. And, like, I'm not necessarily saying that, but just, you know, take some time, sit with it. If you pray, maybe pray about it. Talk to your community, talk to your elders, talk to your family, um, because we are community-based people. So, yeah, that's what I would say. Got it. Um, I want to go to a caller we have on the line right now. We have Britt Reed, who is actually also part of the Inchunwa podcast. Welcome, Britt. Hello. Hello. Dokachian. Olivia. Also. Going on, Andy. Hi. Um, uh, Britt, uh, you know, I know your work as a chef and foodie. Um, didn't uh, realize that, um, you know, tattoos and, and doing all of this history on uh, Southeastern tribal tattoos is um, also something that you've really gotten into in the last couple of years. And then coming across this podcast, it's, you know, pretty brilliant, all the things that you guys have learned about uh, your uh, traditional markings. Uh, tell me about some of the most interesting uh, thing you learned um, doing this podcast, doing this this uh, work and research. Yeah, I mean, also, like I said, thank you so much for doing your workshop because that definitely helped me and Olivia and Lindsay and Faithlin yeah. make Inchunwa as a podcast. Um, so we totally have you to thank for that as well. Um, but um, I think for me, the thing that was the most surprising is like we, like tattoos are a catalyst, right? Like our tattoos themselves are important, but we know from a lot of the, the, or I mean, there's not a lot of writings, but from the writings that there are, that tattoos are something that people would have earned as a part of um, whether that was at the time. Because honestly, for us specifically, we had the French in our territories. Other people in Southeast had the English. But um, when our warriors did something of valor in, in battle or, you know, you did something for your community, that's when you earned your tattoo. And it had to be earned, right? It had to be something that you're accountable to your community. And in fact, if, if you just went off and got it, right, they'd be like, what's that about? And then there's accounts of people having um, their tattoos publicly removed by, like, rubbing green corn on it. And so it's not something that to be taken lightly, right? And even though... Um, like we talk a lot about on the podcast, you know, our ancestors were modern people in their time. We're modern people in our time. And so some of these things are not going to translate, right? Like you can't just go out and kill people these days. There's repercussions for that, mm -hmm. um, even if it is in the defense of your people. And so it's like, what are these things that are important to us today that we can utilize these tattoos that showcase, you know, like our commitment um, to helping our people, right, into our communities, Um and I think it's those conversations around that that I think have been most important, um, at least particularly to me. And then also, like, Padokal Chi will probably laugh because I feel like I'm I'm constantly repping their mom's books, Spiral to the Stars, Muskogee Tools for, for uh, Futurity, because I feel like that has been um, so important, along with the work of Karina Walters and Michelle Johnson, Jenny Ngoziopoli, to kind of give us a direction and have it rooted in, um, you know, like, what does this futurity look for for our community, right? And... Um, with these tattoos, you know, like, we don't know what all the designs mean. People a lot of times want to know, like, 
what is like, you know, like what's a one-to-one, what does this tattoo mean? It's like, we can't give those answers, right? Because unfortunately with colonization, um, either from, um, you know, this, the being around in our case, for those of us that are Southeastern, like from our mound building days, like the colonizers weren't even around that time to, to record it. And it's just archeologists digging it up now um, and like their interpretations of what they think it might mean. Um, or we might be able to like have some, some things from in our, in our communities of like what they mean for us now and like you know in the recent past for our communities um like right now for example like i have a friend uh Angel little creek that made this uh what a lot of people consider the muskogee knot right now um mm-hmm. that they use a lot predominantly in their their stuff that's something that comes from the mound building uh time period but you know because they've carried that design forward you know there's a very specific meaning or thoughts around that design and i feel like we can kind of carry those designs forward but i think that we have to, in this revitalization, um, I don't know if I'm like going in circles right now talking, so my apologies. <laughs> but okay. I, I, I well, always think about this quote from um, uh-huh. from this one band that says, it's unwise to climb trees with no roots. Mm. And so I think we have to do our best to keep it rooted in what we know of our cultures, um, what we still have, and then to not be afraid, right? To create something that works, whether that's meetings, whether that's designs that are rooted in, in those um, traditional practices, but not be afraid to move forward. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that that uh, responsibility that's a little bit different when it comes to revitalization versus just carrying on a tradition that has con- like existed is like a whole different weight and a whole different commitment. And I think um, it's those conversations culturally and like what this means and how do we move forward as a people into the future with these things and how do we normalize it for our people, right? Because we've learned too, like art has been so important and I've really always, and I'll continue to say it, like really appreciate Hadokachi's work in particular, as well as Kelly Gonzalez and Roy Boney and Dustin Matter because it's through their work that we were able to have examples when it didn't really exist in our communities to be like, oh, there's somebody that, like, I can see, like, and I'm thinking specifically of Padokachi's work, and I mentioned it in our podcast uh, episode when we were all together, but Mm -hmm. Padokachi has these um, drawings that are a little bit earlier on in their work. There's a person in basketball shorts just chilling Mm -hmm. with traditional tattoos on, um, which, you know, like, basketball is big in our communities, right? So we can kind of envision, like, someone that we know is chilling in basketball shorts or, like, an elder, um, Dishnaskasi, I always say it wrong, sorry. But, um, you know, like, it allowed me to envision these people in our communities today, not something in the past where, like, I can go from, like, oh, we used to do this. Yeah. To, like, oh, that's cool. Like, we do, like, you know, that's something that we've done. And, like, I can see that now to being, like, is this something that I'm prepared to have on my body to be, like, am I ready for this? And then being prepared. And so, like, now I actually have also um, hand tattoos as well, which I have my own meanings around it, my own commitments and achievements around them. Um, but yeah, I, I think that normalization of it and figuring out how do we make it relevant for today while also having that really, um, heavy responsibility that's different with revitalization. Um, yeah, I think that's the things that have been most surprising. And, uh, you know, a theme that comes across in the podcast and um, just through, you know, discussions of indigenous art as a whole is uh, appropriation. I'm sure uh, maybe, you know, you you would be thinking about while coming up with these new traditions and and bringing meaning back to some of these designs. You know, there's probably some person out there who's like, "Ooh, this is so cute. I think I'm going to get this and, and, you know, it'll be awesome at the festival. Um, yeah. How, how do you, you know, educate, um, you know, folks like that or, or folks who might not know that they would be uh, appropriating it? And we're, we're going to go to a break in just a moment. But uh, Reed, can you start us off on that discussion on appropriation? 
uh, Brit, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I think the best that we can, my bad, the best we can do, I think, is just try and educate people around about appropriation, that these are close practices, right? And even for our own people, right, there's a lot of people that struggle because maybe they're, um, you know, in a large community, maybe they're reconnecting and they're like, what do I do if I want these tattoos, but I don't have an elder? Or what is, like, what do I do if, you know, my elders aren't okay with tattoos? And I think there's, like, some negotiation there, but I still feel like it's really community-based, right? Because this is something that means something not only to ourselves, which is a little bit different than just going to a tattoo parlor and getting a tattoo mm-hmm. versus, like, getting a traditional tattoo. And I think it's the process, too, of that accountability to your community um, that mm-hmm. makes it traditional, right? Whether that's a tattoo gun mm-hmm. or whether that's, um, you know, stick and poke or whatever. And so... Hey, Britt, sorry about that. We're going to go to break right now. Lakota-made indigenous first medicines and eco-friendly personal care products are small batch prepared in the Lakota traditions using sustainably harvested natural and organic ingredients and all can be found at lakotamade.com who support this show. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at ramonafarms.com. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. There's still time to join our conversation about indigenous tattoos today. Do you come from a tribe that has a history and tradition with tattoos? Do you have, uh, did did you continue this practice on your own skin? Tell us about it. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. I want to move the conversation along and um, go up to Anchorage, Alaska, where we have Holly Nordlam. She's an artist, tattooer, and activist. She's Inupiaq. Welcome back to Native America Calling, Holly. Hi, Andy. Hi. So uh, you've been listening to the conversation so far and, and listening to all the uh, research and, um, you know, revitalization work that is happening in southeastern tribes. And um, it's been, you know, tattoo revitalization is something that's been happening up in uh, your area for uh, a very long time. And I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, kind of what's what's new? How are uh, artists and tattooers like yourself kind of moving uh, this tradition along or maybe even moving it into, uh, you know, different and new ways? Yeah, that's an interesting um, thought of what we're doing that's new because for the last nine years, we've kind of just put our heads down and done the work, right? Mm -hmm. Tattooing and educating and getting out into community and classrooms and um, working with uh, youth to educate and uh, get them um, at least knowledgeable so that we're not, you know, starting over with the new generation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the girls that we tattoo or the people that we tattoo, then they share with their family, right? Encouraging education within families, which is a wonderful way to educate. And I think we've lost some of that in our colonization um, with families. So, um, yeah, that's that's what we've been doing, just working away. Something that's surprising is that now I've become, um, I just got back from my hometown of Kikitagorkatsibu, and um, I was teaching a class for new teachers on cultural awareness and how to connect to our kids and then also not 
impose their ideas on our kids of education or society, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's surprising to me that I'm a tattooer and an artist, and now I'm educating outsiders to work with our kids. I mean, it's not ideal to have outsiders mm-hmm. um, come work, but, you know, um, finding teachers that want to live in the Arctic is a tough job. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, working with those uh, with those teachers to just make their experience better as well, but mostly for our kids. Right, right. And uh, you know, what sort of um, maybe collective work uh, do you think is is happening um, happening among uh, traditional tattooers like yourself? Is there, um, or or maybe there's collective work happening in the future? Yeah, um, well, we've been traveling for years um, and meeting up with other traditional practitioners. Um, the last time we met up all together was right before COVID, and we were in Hawaii for two weeks with um, tattooers from all over uh, the Pacific and um, spending two weeks getting to know each other, working, uh, sharing techniques and knowledge and history and then even comparing uh, tattoos and language and uh, those, you know, big questions asked of us by our own people Mm -hmm. and sharing how we respond to that. And that was so valuable, um, just getting to know everyone and, and learning so much from everyone. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's a reason why there's a couple of shows out there just about uh, tattoos from uh, the artist perspective and from the people who are getting them. I mean, there's so much that uh, is behind, um, you know, the ink on our skin, and and maybe the you know there's much more when we have these traditional markings um, that uh, you know have been with our ancestors for a, a very very long time. Um, Holly, what's one of the most um, maybe uh, fascinating parts of, uh, you know, what you do as a tattooer and an educator of uh, traditional tattoos? Um, I guess the biggest thing for me is the um, the work of healing, the finding identity and um, the spiritual connection to your ancestors. Like it's a direct uh, link to your ancestors. So, um, I find that the most special, the most, uh, uh, fulfilling for me is that, that healing part, um, people walking out of here proud of who they are, but also, you know, willing to then share, uh, with their community. Right. Um, I can't go to every single village, but I can tattoo someone who goes home, and then shares about their uh, markings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now, you know, we have, um, you know, somebody like uh, Kwana uh, Chasing Horse, who is, um, you know, very well known. Uh, she's a model. She's, um, you know, seen in magazines and all across social media. And she has her uh, traditional markings on uh, her face. Is this, um, you know, you know, popularity? Is that, um, you know, something that brings up any kind of, 
issues or, um, you know, hard conversations, especially maybe um, uh, with uh, young people? Yeah, I think the question you asked earlier about appropriation mm. uh, becomes a question, right? Because uh, Kiwana so beautiful and is uh, you see her everywhere, uh, which is wonderful for education, but then you know, people see it and think, well, maybe I want those. Um, so uh, like the other, the, the other people said, educating people about why we do it, about um, our struggles in the process of our colonization and then uh, taking back um, how it's important for us. And um, when you don't have that history and you don't have that, you just, be taking away from um, the specialness of um, those markings. And I think I'm so proud of Kawana. She's just an amazing human being. And um, yeah, I, I, I love that she's out there because it, it gives us an opportunity um, to make it more mainstream and, and just keeping in mind to educate people about the appropriation and how that can be detrimental to our healing, to our identity. Right. Right. Uh, thank you. So um, uh, thank you for that, uh, Holly. I'd like to, um, you know, move move on to um, another guest we have with us. We have um, Shay Milford over in Levine, Arizona. He's a founding member of the Indigenous Tattoo and Music Festival, and he's Navajo. Uh, welcome to Native America Calling, Shay. Hi. 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 How's it going? It's going pretty good. I wanted to ask you how everything is lining up for the Tattoo Festival. Uh, everything is, is definitely, everything is definitely set in motion. Um, we, we are doing all our last minute stuff today. Mm -hmm. The show starts tomorrow. Doors open at 12. Uh, Indigenous Tattoo Music Fest 2023. Um, all Indigenous tattoo artists from all over the country, um, even Canada, Rhode Island, Wisconsin, Oklahoma, uh, Idaho, uh, New Mexico, California. It, nice. it's, it's definitely turning out awesome. Right. Um, yeah, I've been hearing about this for uh, the last couple months and uh, wanted to ask you, like, what what inspired uh, you guys to start a, a tattoo festival, especially this year, this year? Um, it was, it was pretty much conversation. It was conversation with two, um, my business partner, Landis Bahi, who is actually, um, with me right now. So, um, let me actually let him introduce himself too. And, uh, real quick. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. This, one, this one's taking a little bit of a turn, huh? Yeah. Right. My name is Landis Bahi. <laughs> I'm Navajo out of the Arizona, the Navajo Nation. Um, all of us are uh, basically a collective of Native American traditional uh, or actually um, indigenous tattoo artists, you know. And we have been working in tattoo shops 
basically with other cultures and coming up in the tattoo industry in that sense, you know. So we went through the apprenticeship. We went through the actual traditional type of teachings of, you know, you know, um, building a machine, learning how to use coils, learning about, you know, bloodborne pathogens and going that route as far as um, being tattooers. So we're all in that type of area, mm-hmm. and we all crossed paths, came together. We did an event um, that Missy Mahan and Antonio Chi um, at Desert Bloom Tattoo in Phoenix hosted uh, during the Indigenous Peoples Day uh, weekend. We did our first kind of promos as far as coming up with the Indigenous Tattoo and Music Fest. Uh, But we actually came together March 2022 as a team. And it really just came through, like Shay said, a conversation. We just, I think it was a group text. We're just like, hey, you guys want to do a a tattoo convention is what it actually started out. And we, as all of us being Indigenous and, you know, people of our tribes, it's like we already knew what type of um, convention tattoo that we were actually referring to. So, um, and the ironic thing was when that thing was when that topic was brought up in conversation, I mean, there were like three or four followers. It's like, okay, yep, I had the same exact idea. So <laughs> I had the idea, Shay, Missy, Antonio. Um, so that's where it started. And then it later developed into music. So uh, aside from doing um, tattooing on all types of spectrums as far as inviting different tribes from, you know, like Kira Morello, she's from the Great Basin area. She'll be here all weekend. Mm-hmm. Tristan Jenny, she's from the Cree Nation, you know, coming in from Canada. You know, we have uh, Quincy John- Johnson coming in from uh, the Paiute Nation, you know. So some of, like, um, for an example, a lot of the um, tattooers uh, are Navajo, Mm-hmm. And, you know, some tattooing is, hasn't been found in some of the tribes uh, in their history. But as culture has evolved and we're evolving with it, like I said, we, a lot of us, we learn in the, you know, in, in the conventional type of tattoo shop atmosphere. Yeah. You know. Yeah, tattoos and, are, are very popular and everybody uh everybody except me has one. Uh <laughs> but um you know, I was looking at uh, the range of art and um the whole list of indigenous tattoo artists that you have on the website and you can definitely tell like those um you know, traditional stories, uh you know, d- aesthetics from different tribes and designs from uh different tribes. Um, um, you know, all represented uh, there at uh, the Indigenous Tattoo Festival. Um, you know, what do you hope folks learn about uh, uh, Native people, contemporary Native people and art um, when they visit and, and go to the festival this weekend? Um, this, this, this was almost like, I mean, our vision statement was, to create an outlet. Our, our vision statement was to create a spotlight 
country a place where they can come to to shine because that's what tattoo conventions are they're they're a gathering of tattoo artists that come together to to show their artwork to meet one another and and the the tattoo convention circuit is very big mm-hmm. so we the conversation just kind of stemmed from my business partner Landis and I, where it was you know let's let's do something like this let's create an outlet let's create a place for indigenous artists to come and and gather and be in that tattoo convention environment to show to show these artists that you know that we're here that we're that our art is our is our outlet. So, um, right. yeah, that was kind of the gist of, of at least our vision statement. We just wanted to mm-hmm. give Indigenous artists in this community the spotlight throughout the United States, so through each and every reservation, reserve, whatever you want to call it. You know, it's okay. Um, it's a very, it's a very unique convention. It's a very, it's, it's the first inaugural. Um, yeah. So yeah. Well, we'll have uh, information on uh, the festival um, on our website, NativeAmericaCalling.com, as well as information about uh, Holly's work she's doing up in Alaska, and um, the Inchunwa podcast um, focusing on tribal uh, traditional tattoos from southeastern tribes Uh, i'd like to say thanks to all of our guests we had on the show uh landis bahi uh shay milford hadogaji harjo olivia morgan faithlin seawright and of course holly nordlin join us tomorrow for a conversation with some awesome native american women journalists i'm andy murphy Protector Louis Health and Wellness, Ikayor Louis Family, Community Health and Care, Sully Lorafsi, Vaccine, RSV, Seasonal Flu, COVID 19 Booster Shot, available to Akubuk, Abiruzakhausi, Vaccine, Indian Health Care Provider, Nakavisitor Louis, Vaccine.gov. Message from Center of Medicare and Medicaid Service. Attention all ranchers, farmers, and conservationists. You can join the Indian Nation Conservation Alliance at their three-day annual meeting in Las Vegas starting October 24th to strategize for a sustainable future. Topics include tribal farming and ranching issues, tribal forestry programs, and more, all to strengthen tribal sovereignty through conservation. The session will also be live-streamed online. More info, including registration at inca-tcd.org who support this show. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.